Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to our Sunday edition of BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Drew Armand, along with the wizard, Thomas Watts, of course, who's producing our show and is our co-host. And our third amigo is with us, uh, as we always are, uh, enjoy our conversations with a 1992 national champion, and from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide, and a guy that's still close to that program, William Redfish Barger. William, uh, you know, happy Sunday night to you. It's been another interesting week of football. We saw the Georgia Bulldogs bounce back and get a big win over the Florida Gators. So the Gators, uh, even though they got that big win over LSU, kind of got exposed a little bit yeah, last night. Uh, I still didn't think Georgia looked super impressive. I did think that they stuck with the ground game more, and Jake Fromm got all the reps at quarterback after uh, the self-proclaimed uh, David Pollock, who, uh, you know, if you just ask him, knows everything about football, told us all that uh, we would see more of Justin Fields than we'd ever seen, and didn't see anything out of Justin Fields, but uh, still an interesting performance by Jake Fromm, who looks as though Cody Smart is uh, going to really hide-strap his wagon to Fromm. I don't really see Justin Fields being a huge factor down the stretch, except maybe situationally. But what did you think about that Georgia's win over the Gators? Um, you know, it, it kind of went about the way that I thought it would, Drew. I, I said last week that, you know, if Georgia would commit to the run, and I think that's I think that's something to really pay attention to because I'm trying to think. I've watched them play Missouri, LSU, and then Florida. I watched all three of those games in their entirety. And, you know, I just can't get my arms around, you know, Jim Chaney as a play caller. What what he does really makes no rhyme or reason. Um, you know, when something's working, he, he doesn't stick with it. Um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, what they're built to do is run the football. They, they've got, a you know, really good running backs. You know, they got an offensive line coach in Sam Pittman that's a size queen, so they're built to run the football. Um, you saw their, their first-round draft pick at left tackle, Andrew Thomas, go down. Um, you know, they, 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 they worked a couple other guys over there, one guy in, in Caden Mays that can't play left tackle in the SEC. Uh, got moved back inside after getting beat on a really, really bad um, sack. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, and again, you factor that in with what's going on, on the other side of their football. Their front seven is, is, is complete garbage. Um, for Florida to be able to do what they did against them. They don't tackle well. They don't rush the passer. You know, I think this is probably one of the most interesting stats in all of college football, Drew. Through eight games, Georgia's front seven has only generated ten sacks. Um, and I think that goes back to the fact that, you know, in year – was this year three or year four of Kirby? 16, 17. This year three. Yeah, um, they don't have any game change. They don't have any game changers on their D line. You know, they've taken a step back at linebacker with the with the loss of uh, uh, Roquan, and uh, you know they don't tackle well. You know, they don't stop the run well. You know, they don't they don't get tackles for loss. They don't get sacks. So, you know, I, I think if, if things continue to head in the in the way that they're going right now, you're going to see them uh, get exposed in the SEC championship game much in the same way that I think they would have gotten exposed. I will go to my grave saying that if Tua Tungabailoa had started the national championship game last year, that would have been a 45 to 13 type of a beatdown. And, you know, it, it's simple math. If you look at what he did in one half of football and take it back two other quarters, um, I, I'm not worried about George as an Alabama fan. I'm not worried about LSU. Um, it's It's about – you know, Nick Saban keeping this team focused, um, executing. I mean, there's been so many players um, for Alabama this year that have emerged. Irv Smith, Quinnen Williams, Deontay Thompson, Patrick Sertain, 
uh, Jedrick Wills, you know, Josh Jacobs, a fully healthy Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, all four of those wide receivers. Uh, there's nobody in college football that can slow this monster down offensively. Well, and I know, uh, I you know, I, I agree. I, I was, I thought Jake Fromm played well, but their receivers don't scare me. Um, their offensive line is okay. I think Alabama's is better. Uh, they certainly have two good backs uh, in Swift uh, and, and, you know, Holyfield. Holyfield's kind of been a surprise this year, uh, you know. But yeah, they, they run they, hard. They do, they do run hard. They It's probably the best part of their offense. And But as you said, I've never been high on Jim Chaney. I agree with you there. And some of his tendencies as a play caller. Uh, certainly Isaac Nauta had a nice game uh, yesterday, but he hasn't had the career. Uh, that, he's certainly not Irv Smith. And uh, – and I'll say that with all equivocation, William. And, and you know Irv wasn't rated as highly coming out as a, as a prospect as Isaac Nauta. And uh, it just goes to show you a lot of times, we've, and you talked about it last week with Quinn, Quinn and Williams, that these ratings a lot of times are not accurate. It depends on you know how you develop guys. And then always trust Nick Saban because Saban and the yeah. staff kind of honed in on Irv Smith you know, and he was one of the last guys they flipped. And I'll tell you guys a funny story. Uh, you know, I had a chance to hear Jeff Banks speak this past Monday in Huntsville at the Red Elephant Club. And, and this is a kind of story I can share because, now, of course, Jeff Banks is now at the University of Alabama, the special teams coach. But he recruited Irv Smith heavily and was his lead recruiter and got him committed for over a year to Texas A&M. And he admitted it was one of the hardest, you know, things, one of the worst things that's happened in his professional career when Irv Smith called him and, and decommitted from Texas A&M. Uh, because he, he, he said they had just left his house. And he said, and, and, and you know, sometimes these schools, to tell a kid how important they are, they will send X amount of coaches to your house. Well, nine, ten coaches went to Irv's house from Texas A&M. They were telling him he would start, he would catch 50 balls. I mean, uh, Jeff Banks admitted it. He said, I told her he would probably he would have a really good chance to start and catch 50 passes as a freshman in our offense. And, you know, and then he calls me and says, Coach, I mean, I, I, I wanted to just share it with you, but I'm going to have to decommit. And he said, well, Irv, uh, we just left your house, and we had cake, we had ice cream, you know. We had 10 coaches there. We, I thought you were good. And he's like, well, Coach, I just really think I need to explore my options. I mean, I love Texas A&M, but I want to take some other visits. And then he said, this was four weeks before signing day. And he said, well, just take a couple of weeks and just keep me, you know, abreast of what's going on, what you want to do. And then what Irv, Irv, Irv told him, he said, well, Coach, I want to visit LSU. And he's like, well, yeah, you're from New Orleans. They never showed you, uh, you know, a lot of love. You know, they just recently offered you. I know you haven't really liked LSU, but go ahead and go visit. I don't blame you. You know, take the visit. And then he said, and then, Coach, I think I'm going to visit Alabama. And Banks said he paused and said, well, you're going to like Alabama. They don't ever lose. <laughs> and so, and so, and then he talked to Irv, you know, a couple of weeks later, and, and Irv called him and said, Coach, I want to go to Alabama. And he said, well, man, Irv, I love you. I love your family. I wish you nothing but luck. Uh, and he said, but, you know, he said it was one of the toughest, you know, recruiting situations I've ever gone through in my career because I knew how good Irv would be. And then he said, but when I took this job at Alabama, who do you think is the first kid that texted me? Irv. Irv. And so there you go. And so I think, Irv. I think, the only thing, I think the only thing, Drew, that Jeff Banks left out of that story was, when, when Irv called him and said that I want to go to Alabama, that Jeff Banks didn't say, well, so do I want to go with you, Irv. <laughs> yeah, and so and another couple of things that, you know, that, that Coach Banks shared is, they, you know, they, he, he talked about how, the, you know, they've had struggles with the kicking game and with place kicking and punting. And he said that, you know, they've made some adjustments with Boulevard. And he said they did it after the struggles in the game against Louisiana. And he said, so really, he said, you just need to judge him going forward. He said he thought he hit the ball really well against Missouri. We know he, you know, that I believe he kicked uh, three field goals in that game. He missed a 52-yarder, but as Coach Banks said, he hit it really well. And then as far as punting, he said with Skylar DeLong, he, it's, it's gotten into his head. It's a mental thing, and they're, they're trying to, you know, do some things with his technique. 
but then Bernier, you know, has been patient, and they they had already tweaked some things with Bernier too, so he could get the ball off quicker. And really, they were neck and neck until Bernier's mother tragically passed away due to cancer. And of course, that was uh, you know right before the second scrimmage and the last scrimmage of fall camp. And so he he stayed home for a whole week. Uh, to deal and grieve about his mother before he came back to the team. And so it just really set him back. And But I will say this, it was a very emotional scene in the locker room after the game he had against Tennessee. Uh, he punted twice, averaged 41 yards of punt net. Uh, and Alabama will take that the rest of the season. And if Bernier can, Absolutely. you know, can, you know, if a few times hopefully he'll get a chance to punt. If he can average 40-plus yards, they'll be fine. And the one thing that I, I'm almost positive after looking into this is that I think Bernier, even though he's listed as a senior, I think he's a uh, he would have another year of eligibility because he was listed as a senior originally because DeLong was the starter and they weren't sure he'd come back to the team. But now, if he has a good year, year the rest of this year and they're still trying to you know work out the kinks with DeLong and see DeLong's punted in too many games, so he can't redshirt. In theory, he could redshirt next year and still have three years of eligibility left. And I believe Bernier would have the option to come back uh, next year and be the punter, which would, if he finishes this year strong, would be very interesting. So we'll see where that goes. Would it be, would, Go ahead. Drew, would it be as a would it be as a redshirt senior or as a grad? Uh, well, it couldn't be a grad transfer. No, it'd be as a redshirt senior. Yeah, okay. because this is what happened to Bernier. He graduated Bob Jones High School after 2014. He signed with Eastern Illinois. He went over there and he punted and was all freshman OVC, averaged 41 yards a punt as a freshman, but his mother was sick, and so he decided to come home. He was going to go to Jacksonville State until Bobby Williams called when they when he they may had sent oh, Coach Williams an email. I get it now. He's got he's got the hardship waiver available to him. Well, that that and when he because William because he was moving up from one double A to Division One, he had to he had to shit out in red shirt in 2016. Right which in theory would have been his sophomore year. That made him a redshirt sophomore last year in 2017, which he did not punt at all. And so this would make him, in theory, a redshirt junior, even though he's listed as a senior. If you remember, Will Lowry was a a true senior and could have come back as a redshirt senior in 2012, but decided he didn't want to play anymore after 2011 when he got the knee injury. And so, and Will didn't decided he didn't want to be a GA either. I mean, Saban tried to get him to coach, and and so he. I, I but I, I'm, I'm almost positive after looking into it that Bernier could come back. So that's an interesting thing, and I do think Alabama's kicking game's improving. After hearing Coach Banks speak for about 40 minutes, he's a very impressive guy, high energy. I can see why Saban hired him because this is not one of these just special teams by title kind of deal. He takes it really seriously. I mean, he's a technician when it comes to it. He was a punter at Washington State for Pappy. And, you know, he's a guy that uh, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's a guy that knows a lot about it. Yeah, and uh, he, he knows a lot about kicking and punting and technique. And But he's a high-energy guy, too. You can tell why he's a great recruiter and why Alabama was able to get Jalen Waddle when they hired him. Because, uh, you know, Jalen Waddle was uh, his guy at Texas A&M. And, and don't think Nick Saban doesn't think about stuff like that. I firmly believe that was another reason why Saban hired Jeff Banks. And trust me, Jimbo wanted to keep him because he knew if he got Jeff Banks, that would go a long, long way, along with Tua Tungabailoa, of getting uh, Jalen Waddle in the fold. No, I think Jeff Banks was a huge hire. Um, you know, maybe – uh, you know, not not quite to the level of Josh Gaddis or, or, or Coach Cool, but he has certainly made his mark. Um, everything that you've heard about him has been positive. And, you know, I, I'm not one of these Alabama fans that wants to sit around on a Sunday and, and play, you know, armchair quarterback and bang on the special teams production. Because, A, I never thought Joseph Bullivis was doing that bad of a job as a field goal kicker. I mean, how many attempts as a field goal kicker has he had? Has he had? Um, not many. I mean, yeah, there was the dings with the extra points early on, but I think he settled in. Um, you know, I think certainly inserting Bernier against Tennessee, I totally agree with what you said, Drew. If, if he can, let's just call it 40, you know, uh, yards per game as a punter. Um, you know, the, the coverage on both sides of the ball have been, have been very good. Um, you know, you've seen how – 
explosive and dynamic both Josh Jacobs has been as a kickoff returner. And don't get me wrong, I realize he's got a, a something beyond a, a pound of putty clay to work with and Jalen Waddle as a punt returner. But all of those facets of Alabama's game have improved. But also, let's don't discount um, – what he's done as the tight ends coach with Irv Smith. Um, you know, he's done a very good job there. Um, you know, Irv's gone from being nobody that anybody's talking about or has ever heard of to all of a sudden he's sneaking into the back end of the first round um, as, a, as a tight end prospect. So, and I fully expect Irv Smith to come back because he could really sneak into the top 15 if he does. But I think he's been – um, you know, if you look at the new hires, the way I would grade them is, is Kuglioski one, Gaddis two, and Banks three. Um, th- those three guys, I think, have really kind of put their fingerprint, um, you know, on the program, certainly with Nick Saban as their, their boss and mentor. But, you know, it's, 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 you know, Drew, if you look at what Alabama's in a position to do from a defensive line class standpoint, it's almost the perfect storm. Um, you know, when you look at the, the number of defensive linemen that Nick Saban has put in the first and second round, um, you know, without a coach cool. And then all of a sudden you start factoring in, you've got who most people consider the best defensive line coach in college football and all those relationships that he's had um, when he's been at Missouri and, and especially the two years he spent at Miami. You know, I think that's easily what factored into – uh, Braylon Ingraham's decision last week to commit to Alabama was, you know, his relationship with Coach Cool when he was being recruited by him at Alabama, I mean, at, at Miami, plus with the development program and the life after football that Nick Saban provides at Alabama. It, it's, you know, it's the perfect storm. If they can finish out with what they already have on hand, and, you know, two elite guys like Antonio Alfano, who had six sacks Friday night. Um, you know, I'm not even going to try and butcher his name, the Nigerian kid from uh, College Park, Georgia. Ibobi. Yeah, Justin Ibobi, yeah. And I think it's Alfano one, and then Abogi and, and Ingraham are probably just a step down from him, but still very elite players. And what they have a chance to capture after that, you know, they've already got an elite, um, you know, defensive tackle, nose guard guy, and uh, DJ Dale. You know, they've got an opportunity to get, uh, you know, either Softshire or uh, Sika from Utah. I mean, this could be a record-setting defensive line recruiting class, maybe even the best one that's ever been signed. Well, it could be. And I wanted to, you know, kind of piggyback on that with uh, Braylon Ingraham because – you know, I, I knew he had officially visited Alabama. I knew that they liked him, but I, I didn't know until two or three days before that it started to heat up that he was probably going to commit to Alabama over Miami and Oregon. Uh, you know, I, I've been hearing comparisons to Quinnen Williams because of the of the way that uh, Quinnen came out of Winona, uh, you know, playing for Ronald Cheatham at about 260 pounds. And I remember interviewing Quinnen Williams uh, on my radio show, you know, two or th- about, I guess, four years ago, uh, three years ago now. Uh, and it was in the early days of the, when my first my show first started, and I also had Ronald Cheatham on the show. But he, he's he's developed into a top ten pick and just been so dominant. You know, the, the number one defensive lineman in college football in his first year starting. But when you look at Ingraham, you know, William, I know your favorite thing to do is uh, evaluate offensive and defensive linemen. What is your you know a, opinion of Ingraham? I, I, the the thing that was I was I've been hearing is they think he's the best pass rusher in South Florida. Well, you know, Drew, it's, it's funny because, you know, sometimes I, I do a better job of evaluating defensive linemen versus offensive linemen because, you know, I spent five years trying to block these hammerheads. And, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I'll never forget Mario Cristobal and I having multiple conversations about Quentin Williams. And when he first told me about him, hell, I had never heard about him. Um, even though he was from, you know, inner city Birmingham, he was the 17th rated defensive tackle prospect in the country. So why should I have been paying attention? But once he pointed me in the right direction, I was like, wait a minute. You know, this is, this is a, a you know, Marcel Darius 2.0. Um, and I think, 
some of the same qualities that Quentin Williams had coming out of high school, you can see in Braylon Ingraham. You know, Ingraham was kind of downgraded, even though he plays for one of the best high school programs in the country. He was downgraded because he was injured as a junior, and, you know, he had limited film. Uh, but when you look at his midseason highlights, um, now that he's a little bit bigger than 260 pounds, you know, he's got what you look for. Um, elite quickness off the snap, quick twitch, changes direction in space, which you have to have now um, with these dual threat quarterbacks. And, you know, the guys had a, a you know, an elite senior season up to this point. And, uh, you know, let's don't forget that he's getting, you know, kind of half-assed coaching down there by a future NFL Hall of Famer named Jason Taylor at St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, you've seen the comments from his head coach um, that's come out about what kind of a quality kid he is. Um, you know, a leader, wants to get better, tireless work ethic. You know, it, it's kind of the same thing, Drew, if, if you want to, you know, peel it back and circle back around. You know, it's the same reason why a lot of people are going to have mud on their face in two weeks on November the 12th when 247 has to eat a shit biscuit and admit that despite the so-called off-the-field problems from two or three years ago, that they're going to have to name Antonio Alfano a five-star because he's got the same spark numbers that are comparable at 285 pounds that a guy by the name of J.J. Watt had coming out of Wisconsin as a senior. And you're not supposed to do that kind of stuff at 285 pounds. So I think Alabama is in a situation where they are fixing to you – know, it's, it's, it's like everybody wants to talk about. You know, at, right now all the talk is on Tua and the wide receivers and, you know, Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris, and, all, and don't get me wrong. It is, it's a freak show. But what it's going to be going forward after, you know, Tua goes pro after next year is – that line of scrimmage talent and the guy that does the best job of reloading at it every maybe, you know, and he doesn't do it on an annual basis. I mean, there's, there's lapses. Last year was a lapse on the offensive side of the football. Um, maybe even a lapse on the defensive side of the front seven um, with, with some of those guys that they missed on like Bobby Brown and uh, Malik Langham. Although I will say, I think Alabama got the best trade. Uh, between Bobby Brown and Jalen Waddle, but don't ever discount what Dick Saban is able to do, especially when you look at, in my opinion, the DB class that he brought in last year. Um, I, I can remember like it was yesterday. Everybody saying, "Oh, Patrick Sertain isn't anywhere near the player that Tyson Campbell is." Well, go back and watch the first eight games of college football this year and compare Patrick Sertain to Tyson Campbell. I'm still not going to say that maybe two or three years from now, Tyson Campbell doesn't prove to be the better player. He's not even close to Patrick Sertain right now. So, like we were talking about earlier, Drew, about I don't care what 247 says or what Rivals says. Um, I go back to three years ago when a coach on Alabama staff told me that the only person that Nick Saban thought was a better five-technique defensive end than Quentin Williams was Rashawn Gary, and it may prove out to be that Quentin Williams was even better than Rashawn Gary. Yeah, that, that's a good point, and I think this defensive line, that's the thing that excites me Go about going to Red Stick. There's going to be a lot of people talking about LSU's defense and Alabama's offense, but not really talking about Alabama's defense, but I think Alabama's defense is getting better. I mean, when you look uh, at Isaiah Bugs, he's leading the SEC in sacks. I know – Raquan has not put up the stats everybody was anticipating. He's been getting double though, but I I think his effort's been good. I've liked what I've seen out of him. I think you know that uh, having to sit out a half against Tennessee probably has helped him kind of wake him up to even more uh, to enjoy playing. I think he's going to finish strong. Uh, and then Quinnen has just been unbelievably productive. I thought LeBron Ray. We talked about it last week. He took some steps forward. You're starting to see Coach Cool and his work. I mean, he just he's, he's done too much good stuff at Missouri, and then the two years at Miami, uh, to to not be you know considered an upgrade, and and to not and now you're seeing this Alabama defensive line. And I never thought I would say this, William, but the Alabama defense it, it's it's defined the program under Nick Saban for the first 
11 years. But this year, all the credit's going to the offense, and the defense is kind of getting overshadowed. But I do think they're getting a lot better. If they can just get the middle linebackers to start playing better, and I think Dylan Moses is taking some steps forward. You know, Mac Wilson has been a little bit better. But I guess the only thing that, you know, and you everybody makes mistakes in recruiting, even Nick Saban. Uh, you know, that's the one depressing thing that I saw on Saturday is I saw two middle linebackers that, that wanted to come to Bama that would be there right now. Erol Thompson at Mississippi State, he had a big interception and play, has played real well for them this year. And he's originally from Florence. And then, of course, my guy Monty Rice from James Clemens, he had 11 tackles for Georgia. Uh, but still, I mean, that, that's kind of nitpicking because I do think Dylan Moses is going to be a very good player and a first-round draft choice and is getting better this year. And then, you know, Mack Wilson's certainly been somewhat disappointing, but hopefully will finish strong. So, uh, But again, uh, this defense, I think, is getting better on all three levels. And I think hopefully they can prove to be the best defense on the field on Saturday in Red State. Because I'll be honest with you, Will, when you look at it objectively, and we've already talked about the special teams, but I think Alabama has better returners than LSU. They've got Jalen Waddell, and they have Josh Jacobs. And I wanted to go back to what Jeff Banks said about Josh Jacobs. I asked him what made Josh Jacobs such a great kickoff returner, and he brought up a great point. He said hand-eye coordination because if you watch him return, William, he always catches the ball going forward. He doesn't have to wait on it and catch it going backwards and lose momentum. He always catches the ball going forward, and he's very difficult to tackle. And so Josh Jacobs has had a great year. I think Alabama has, again, better kickoff returners, better punt returner. The only areas where LSU is better, I think, is place kicker and punter. But as you just got through saying, I don't think it's one of those things where it's a huge gap. And then I do think it's a huge gap when you look at this Alabama offense against LSU's offense. And then I do think Alabama's defense can, can go toe-to-toe with LSU, but I think the biggest mismatch is Alabama's offense versus Joe Burrow. I, I respect Burrow as a player, but he, he basically can't clean to a tongue of Iowa's bathroom. Well, to me, Drew, the, the, the biggest difference is this. The, the, the LSU defensive line and the LSU offensive line is probably the worst on both sides of the line of scrimmage that I've seen since the 90s. Um, that, 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 to me, is, is where the biggest difference is. Um, you know, they don't, especially with Chase and being out, they don't have an elite pass rusher. Um, you know, they, they've got some, some dudes, but, but they're not, you know, what you've seen in the past for, for the last 10 to 15 years out of LSU. Their offensive line is kind of a patchwork unit. Um, you know, they're going to come out and try and run the football. Um, you know, one thing that I will say that you touched on that I want to kind of expand on is, you know, once we get into uh, winter workouts and, and spring football next year, especially with um, what Alabama already has on campus and what's coming in this recruiting class, something that I might see or I want you to see that might happen is for Dylan Moses to morph into that Rashawn Evans role. I don't think he's a really three-down natural at inside linebacker. I think he's more of a hybrid guy that, that maybe you play, you know, first and ten, second and long at inside. But when it's a passing situation, he might be more of a natural like Rashawn was of lining out there on the edge. And what makes it even more exciting is, um, barring some unforeseen miracle, um, I expect Anthony Jennings to come back. I expect Terrell Lewis to come back and Chris Allen. So now all of a sudden, if you've got a hybrid guy and Dylan Moses that can do both, and then you've got those guys that are good at setting the edge, plus the alpha pass rusher that's going to have to come back and Terrell Lewis, um, you know, you, you might see the way it was this year going into fall camp where, that D-line was going to be the strength, but after all the injuries at linebacker, that was the weakness. You might see that flip-flop. Some great points, William. And before I bring uh, Thomas Watts into the conversation, William and I will take you know a look at the recruiting uh, toward the end of this podcast and kind of where it's going because the stretch run is going to be in November because Alabama is going to bring in a lot of kids uh, for the last three weekends of November and the regular season, 
as we know, the, the, the signing period, I think, is December the, tw- the 20th uh, is the early one. So they right before Christmas, they're going to try to sign 90% of these kids. And, of course, we know they've got 22 commitments, but there's going to be some disappear, as always. And I think Alabama will add eight to ten more kids, probably more closer to eight to nine. Uh, but we'll see. They're going to have to make some difficult decisions because, as usual under Nick Saban, even though they didn't, you know, finish the class strong if they wanted to last year, but usually they have more, you know, prospects than spots. But we'll take a look at that. We've already kind of talked about the defensive line, but I wanted to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation and get his thoughts on Alabama and LSU coming up on Saturday in Red Stick. Well, Drew, as you well know, we talked about it before the show. I put my mouth on it earlier this year saying, in effect, compared to Alabama, I believe that LSU is trash. And <laughs> and I'm not backing off of that because tell me one thing. I, I challenge any football fan to tell me the difference between this LSU team and the Les Miles pro-style silliness that got Les Miles fired and Ed Orgeron beaten the two times he's played Alabama. You know, let's let's let, I think LSU deserves credit for knowing exactly what they are and playing a very tough schedule and excelling playing that schedule. I mean, the Georgia win, the 20-point Georgia win looks really good. The Florida win is defensible. Uh, Miami's a dumpster fire. Auburn's a dumpster fire. So I don't give a rip about either of those. But, you know, they, they've obviously played better competition than Alabama. But, you, you know, one of the things that I frequently get into when I get into this game is, oh, Greedy Williams, LSU star cornerback, and Grant Delpit's the best safety in college football, and Christian Fulton, if you look at the grades from Pro Football Focus, they have, you know, he's the fifth best corner in the in the SEC, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. So that takes out three of Alabama's receivers. Who's going to cover? A guy you just mentioned, Drew, Ewan William. Who's going to cover Irv Smith? Well, Devin White can cover. Oh, he's not playing in the first half. Okay. So I think this is a bad matchup for LSU going into the game. You know, I think LSU will be able to do some stuff to slow Alabama's offense down, particularly running the ball. But as strong as LSU's secondary is, they've seen absolutely nothing like what they're coming to have to compete against this upcoming weekend. You know, yes, they shut down LSU or Georgia's wide receivers. So what? Nicole Hardman's the only wide receiver that would even sniff the field at Alabama. And I think the fight would be, do you play Nicole Hardman over Jalen Waddell? It wouldn't be me, Cole Hardman, over any of the three super sophomores. Well, so, there, ain't, there ain't no call for that. I'll just be honest with you. Miko Hardman, he can't hold Jalen Waddle, but keep going. Well, well, I, th- I said there was an argument. I didn't say there was a specifically good one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so you have that. And the thing that still drives me nuts about this game, you know, I, I don't think LSU's defense is going to be able to check the Alabama offense. But even if they can there is a certain subset of passes that only elite quarterbacks can make. And Tua Tonga-Vailoa has shown his ability to make these passes three, four, five times a game. That if you are a defensive back in perfect position, it don't matter. You have no shot. It's just a perfect pass to a wide receiver, and the wide receiver can do something with it after. So I really don't buy into this LSU aura of dominance when it comes to their defense. Now let's talk about the Alabama defense versus the LSU offense. The LSU offense runs to set up the pass. Joe Burrow is a 53.8% passer. Some of that is because he's inaccurate at times. Some of that is because the LSU offense is predicated on some shot plays to try and keep the defense honest. Well, okay, have that thing established. Now let's talk about what Florida really did to beat the LSU Tigers a few weeks ago. Florida has two defensive ends in Ja'Kai Polite and Jabari Zuniga, who have 11 and a half sacks between them. Florida is second in the SEC. I believe they're second in the SEC. I'd have to double check with 22 sacks over their eight-game schedule. 
Anybody want to want to put some money on who's first with 26? <laughs> if if you guessed the first name, first part Ala, second part Bama, second in the first in the SEC with 26 sacks, you would be correct. You win a prize. So, you know, I just I don't get it. If Alabama's defense is able to get uh, Joe Burrow off his spot, excuse me, I don't know how LSU is going to be able to compete. I think this is the same LSU team that Alabama has beaten every time they've seen each other over the past seven years. And unfortunately for this LSU team, the offense that's coming in that they have to compete against, they really haven't seen able that it, they haven't seen it this year. They haven't seen it period when it comes to Alabama, but they haven't seen a passing offense like this. They haven't seen a group that can attack the defense and be balanced and in most cases, if not, they are not more talented. They are as talented at every position. You didn't really see that in Georgia. You know, Williams all over Sam Pittman and his love of size. And, you know, with size comes cement shoes with most offensive linemen. But overall, I just don't get it. I believe the line was something like Alabama by 14. Yeah. I realize that line is giving LSU anywhere from three to five points because they're at home. On a neutral field, Alabama is three touchdowns better than this team, as thought by Las Vegas. Now, yes, Las Vegas has had to inflate Alabama lines because they've been killing people so bad this year that they can't make any money if Alabama is not favored by a quadzillion. But I don't think that's an unfair line. I think Alabama is going to roll in. And to LSU's credit, they've had a good season. But unfortunately, now you've got Alabama's attention. When any team has Alabama's attention and you give them an extra week to prepare, generally bad things happen to that team. I think Alabama's going to roll in to Red Stick, and they are going to take that move and make it Black Stick because they're going to burn that place to the ground by four or five touchdowns. I, I don't disagree at all. I think, you know, my, my pick is actually 38-13. to 13. I think Alabama's going to win this game. I think Jalen Hurts is going to play uh, in the fourth quarter because I think Alabama is, uh, you know, much better than, uh, than they're being, being, being given credit for uh, defensively. I think they match up well with LSU's offense. Uh, I do think uh, that the crowd can keep LSU in the game for a maybe, maybe a half. But I think uh, Tua Tungvalu will play three quarters, and we'll see him – uh, in this offense, you know, just to eventually take apart LSU, even though I have great respect for David Ronda. I think Alabama's going to win this game. I think they're going to easily cover that 14-and-a-half. Um, I think, you know, Alabama's running game is getting better. I think Deontay Brown was has been uh, – and this will be his first road start. We'll see how he reacts. But I think he'll play well. I think he'll give him more push inside. I think Ronda will probably try to bring pressure through the middle uh, and kind of test the guard in the centers. But I think Alabama will adjust – and I think uh, with Alabama's running game, uh, and then with those receivers, I do think uh, that they're going to be able to move the ball on this LSU secondary, even though the secondary is very good. But I, th I still think Alabama's is playing about as well, though, and I think they're going to be able to shut down Joe Burrow. Uh, but uh, I wanted to also ask William uh, for his opinion on this because I think it's going to be, you know, another interesting, you know, uh, facet of the game, though. Uh, is Devontae Smith. I, we, we saw Jalen Waddle step up in his uh, absence in Knoxville. I still think we're going to see Devontae Smith probably on a pitch count Saturday. Uh, what's your thought, William? Uh, do you think we'll see Devontae, uh, you know, in not, maybe not play a ton of snaps, but give, about, give, give Alabama about 30 snaps on Saturday? Well, I mean, I think when you saw him come back to practice, I'm pretty sure it was – maybe on a pitch count or at half speed, I guess, on Wednesday. Um, that, that leads me to believe that, you know, with the rest he got over this weekend, um, you know, maybe he could be closer to full speed. Um, you know, the other thing that I would say was, um, wasn't Deontay Brown's first road start last Saturday at Knoxville? Well, yeah, and that's my bad. I should have just said first start. But this will be – I'm just – Yeah, that, 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 was, that, that was my fault, yeah. But I, I do totally agree with you on the premise that I think this young man, um, and you know, we've been talking about him, Drew, for um, a long time now. And I think the only thing that's kept him from emerging before uh, the last couple of weeks is, is the, the obvious weight gain that took place. But he, 
you know, he's the strongest player on the team by a long way. Um, you know, a guy that, you know, in the mold of a chance Warmack that can generate power at the point of attack. Um, you know, he made a play against Missouri that, um, you know, I, I guess I can only say I was an offensive lineman for five years at Alabama because I wasn't one in high school. But, you know, I've never seen a one-handed flat back before that he executed <laughs> against Missouri. Um, but but I, I think he's made that offensive line better. And I think, um, you know, they were trending in the right direction before he was even inserted. They're, they're the, the most efficient pass-blocking offensive line in college football, which certainly helps to a tongue of Iloa you know, do what he does with those skill players. But, you know, I, I go back to what I said, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago. This is the worst line of scrimmage team that I've seen from LSU since the late 90s, maybe even since the the Curly Hallman days and uh, or the Jerry DiNardo days, one of the two. Um, I just, you know, I, I think you and, you and Thomas might be being generous with the score. Um, that they, you know, they don't have the horses to keep up with Alabama, you know, especially if, if two is fully healthy and can push off that knee. Um, you know, I think they're going to want to make a statement down there because this is the so-called, quote, you know, lone left uh, top 25 team that they'll probably face till Mississippi State or, or the SEC championship game. But, you know, I, I kind of agree with uh, – uh, Tom Luganville, from what he said tonight at 7 p.m. Central Time, I think LSU's in trouble, and I think they're in trouble early Saturday night. Well, I mean, and they may very well be, especially if Tua comes out and uh, is and it is in, and starts shredding them as quickly as he has. I'm thinking, you know, Dave Aranda may have some different looks and might even, you know, and might even uh, take Alabama, you know, a couple series to get going. But if they do come out firing on all cylinders then you're right, LSU's in a lot of trouble. I think Deontay Brown has a lot of talent. I was hearing this week after the Red Elephant Club, you know, all these coaches make the rounds, that it's amazing what Deontay Brown's done. He needs to keep it up. But, you know, over a year ago, he was weighing 400 pounds, like 405 pounds. And now he's got it down in the three th- high 330s, you know, mid 340s. And that's a, that he's lost a ton of weight, needs to keep doing it. Uh, but he's a guy that has the ability to play in the NFL. There's no question about it. Uh, he has a lot of – you brought up a great comparison, except I think he's even got more potential than Warmack because he's bigger, uh, a little bit taller than, than Chance was, but a very good – guy. has a chance to be just a very, very good football player. Uh, and uh, you just continue to root for him that hopefully that he's kind of, he's learned and been developed uh, and, and, and you know got his eating habits under control where he can control his weight and become a dominant force you know, for Alabama. But uh, I also uh, wanted to, uh, you know, kind of talk a little recruiting uh, tonight as we're kind of winding this thing down. We already talked about the defensive line, and I I agree completely. I think, you know, with Ingraham coming in, you know, I I think they would take both uh, Ika, Sayuke Ika from Utah, who I think is going to visit for the Iron Bowl, uh, you know, know, and and, and Ismail Sopsher, but I'm also not crazy. I, I, I don't think they'll probably be able to get both of them. I still have doubts about Sopcher coming to Alabama with LSU having a good year, with the situation with his brother, with LSU playing that angle. But it doesn't bother me because I think Ike is just as good a player. From someone that I trust that was at the opening, he's been, spot, he's been spot on with what he's told me about what he saw and like and talking when he was talking to others that – about kids and, and, and how good he thought they were. They looked in person. So I, I just think if as long, William, as long as they get one of those two guys to, be, to go along with D.J. Dale. And D.J. Dale, by the way, is being viciously underrated. I mean, I've seen the kid play. I know you've watched his film. He's really athletic. He's probably a, a Darren Payne light, but that's, that's not disrespecting yep. the kid. No, nope, no, nope, nope. you're exactly right. And I just the think – Alabama staff loves – Excuse me, the Alabama staff loves D.J. Dale. Um, the reason that he looked as a junior, um, you know, so slow and sluggish and he was overweight is he was coming off of an injury. Right. Um, but when he came to Alabama's camp back in June, he was unblockable. He tooled out, I'm not going to name names, but he tooled out all of the top offensive linemen. Quite a few of them are on Alabama's commitment list. Um, the guy's an elite defensive tackle 
prospect. And th that's why I totally agree with you, Drew, that it's an either or situation with, 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 with Sika and, and Sostra. I don't think they need both. Um, they probably won't be able to take both. It's going to be an either or situation. And then Alabama's going to use that number to go to another position. Mm -hmm. um, you know, w whether it's, you know, Kavion Thibodeau, um, which I personally don't think is a very good fit for the program, despite his uh, elite ability. Um, maybe it's it's Bogle. You know, maybe it comes down to – I think when, when, if you want to end this segment talking about recruiting, I think all the recruiting talk should center around that Iron Bowl weekend coming up here in about, what, three and a half weeks um, where everybody and their brother is going to be on campus including Nolan Smith's two teammates, Trey Sanders and Evan Neal, um, both a five-star running back and a five-star offensive tackle, who are, you know, Nolan Smith's teammates. And, you know, there's a lot of rumors out there with what's going on at Georgia this year that, that you know, Nolan Smith is not impressed by the fact that they're 119th in sacks. Um, they haven't had a defensive lineman at Georgia drafted in the first round since 2013. I think that situation is very, very uh, important, some, something that y'all might want to pay attention to. But at the same time, you still got Alabama involved with so many other great prospects. You know, how anybody can make an honest forecast or an assessment of how this recruiting board is going to play out. Um, I've personally been told um, there's going to be at least two players disappear, probably three to maybe four more get asked to gray shirt. So, you know, those numbers may fluctuate a little bit more than some people might think. And, uh, you know, there, there's nobody greedier in, in the world of college football than Nick Saban when it comes to recruiting. But if they can finish out to where – they're forecasted to on both sides of the line of scrimmage. This is going to be, I think, you know, when you look at, you know, you've got one more year of Tua in 2019, in my opinion. I don't see him going past that. Oh, yeah. Um, with, the, with the quarterbacks that they've got coming in to go along with the skilled players. Now, they, they will have to reload next year at wide receiver. Um, and probably a defensive back based on the numbers in this class. But, you know, nobody's better at that. But, it's you know, this dynasty's not going anywhere fast, guys. I mean, it is here to stay. Um, you know, I'll never forget Mario Cristobal telling me this in the summer of 2016 prior to the season, him telling me if we don't win two national championships between – 2016 and 2019 we should all be fired yeah. and they're halfway there now well they are and like i say i think uh, you know overall and they're gonna have to make some difficult decisions like there's a very good player out there that i that i think is going to end up in nebraska and, and wandell robinson and i know you've said he was a take regardless but i still think the kid is probably going to go to nebraska because he's going to get on the field faster. And I'll say this, and I've, and I've said that the staff wants a bigger wide receiver, and they do, but it's not a disrespect to Wondell Robinson. I love the kid as a player. Uh, I wish they had room for him, but it's just they've got they, their wide receiver group. They're not losing. They're losing two guys, Xavion Marks. Everybody knows that. And they're losing Derek Keith. They're losing two role guys. But all the guys that have done all this damage this year are all coming back. So they, they don't have a lot of playing time available. Jalen Waddle's a freak. He's got two more years. Uh, you know, and we'll see, you know, uh, what happens with Slade Bolden and Chadarius Townsend. I actually think Chadarius is a very good prospect, too. We saw him in the A-Day game, but, hell, he just can't get on the field. So, and I, I don't blame Wondell Robinson. You know, Nebraska, to say they need players is an understatement, and he'll get on the field or quickly there, and I think it's a good fit for him. I think uh, offensively with Scott Frost, uh, and I, I think that he'll do a, a hell of a job. You know, you know, with Mark Stoops in Kentucky, you kind of wish they could keep that kid in state because Mark Stoops, they, 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 their season has been remarkable. And I never thought I would say this in all my years of watching SEC football, William, but right now the best defense in the SEC is the Kentucky Wildcats, and we're not talking about basketball. I mean, that's what's so amazing. I was watching them. They don't have an offense. 
it's probably why they won't beat Georgia on Saturday, uh, even, though, even though they're hosting them because they're passing game suspect. But, man, uh, that Josh Allen guy can play all day. And it goes back to what you said about recruiting. That bitch, he was a two-star kid. His only other offer was Monmouth. And he's going to go in the top ten in the draft. And, and as much as I love Quinn and Williams, and I love the kid, Josh Allen is the defensive player of the year in the SEC. He is an absolute monster. Nobody can block him. And, I, and I, it's not going to happen, but I wish they would beat Georgia. It would, make my, it would make my year if they did that and got to well, Atlanta. Well, selfishly, I don't want them to beat Georgia because I want everybody for the last three years that have been on this damn Kirby Smart boogeyman march. Right. To, finally realize um, just how bad they are at speculating who is a good head coach, who is good at developing talent, and stargazing at recruiting classes. Because I can promise you this, uh, none of those recruiting classes that Kirby Smart has signed has produced an elite defensive tackle, an elite defensive end, or outside of maybe Monty Rice, who was, what, a three-star guy? Yeah, when Alabama uh, let them have him. Seven, <laughs> yeah, their front seven is complete garbage. Um, yeah. I, I can promise you this. Um, don't don't dull yourself to sleep over what Felipe Franks was not able to pull the trigger on that Georgia secondary on Saturday. I want Alabama to play Georgia in Atlanta, and I want to see the humiliation take place full in front center because – as an Alabama fan, we were all denied that pleasure last January when Nick Saban chose to not start to a tongue of Iloa versus Georgia. And I can promise you, as God is my witness, y'all can have one of my testicles <laughs> if that game had been played over with two tongue of Iloa as the starter, if that hadn't have been a forty to a five, forty-five to thirteen point beatdown. Yeah, I agree. of life. Yeah, and I agree. I, and, I have, and then part of me wants to see that as well. Uh, and I think, you know, hey, Georgia. guess what? This team ain't as – this Georgia team this year ain't as good as last year's team. No, you're right about that. I completely agree with that. Uh, they, first of all, they, they're still good at running back, but they're not as good as last year. They're not as good on the offensive line because Isaiah Wynn's not there. Uh, they don't have Roquan, but you're right. And some other pieces on defense, no question about it, they're not as talented. Uh, you know, as far as they're not as good, especially in their starting 22. But uh, but as we're wrapping it up, I do think Alabama's going to finish really strong in recruiting. I think when you look at it, I said they would sign 8 to 10. I still think they're going to take Evan Neal and Trey Sanders. And I will see Evan Neal and Trey Sanders this coming Friday. I'm going to the IMG Hoover game at Hoover. Got to see those two kids. As William said, also, you know, watch Nolan Smith. You know, is he, you know, going to stay committed to Georgia? Uh, we'll see. Uh, there's you know a lot of talk and speculation and rumor about that. Want to see those three kids play? And of course, Hoover has Will Reichert. They also have George Pickens. And there's thoughts you know about Pickens maybe flipping to Alabama, but a lot of that's going to have to do with his grades down the stretch. So we'll get a chance to see those guys. Alabama, if they would, in an ideal world, if Pickens was definitely going to be eligible, I think with Auburn struggles, they would have a good chance at flipping him. But also. With what we saw from USC yesterday, USC losing at home to Arizona State, Clay Helton is not on solid ground. Don't discount a kid like Brew McCoy, who is an outside linebacker and wide receiver. He wants to play receiver. He's got a lot of talent. He's a five-star. He's going to visit. I think there's a good chance he visits during that epic weekend William was talking about for the Iron Bowl. And if he officially visits, he likes USC and he likes Texas, but he's never visited Alabama. He knows Tua well. Uh, and if Alabama, if they could blow him away, I've seen Nick Saban do this with kids. He's probably going to sign in December. They could end up getting in late on Brew McCoy and making something happen. So uh, just don't discount that. I think Brew McCoy is a guy to watch at wide receiver. In the secondary, I think they're still talking to Dax Hill. Michigan continues to win. I still think you need to watch if Dax Hill, he has been calling Alabama, but I still think that's going to be a tough flip. So watch a guy like Jordan Battle. From the, he's a teammate of uh, of uh, of uh, Ingraham at Fort St. Thomas Aquinas. He's supposed to visit for the Iron Bowl. He's a kid that's committed to, to uh, Ohio State, 
But I think if Alabama really turned up the heat on him, they'd have a good shot. Uh, I know this. Joe Panunzio thinks he can get the kid. So I wouldn't discount that. So I would watch uh, Jordan Battle. I would also watch Jeffrey Carter, the corner that's committed to Texas A&M. They've been in a lot of communication with his father. And also, Panunzio went to watch Akeem Dent, committed to Florida State. Because uh, right now, Florida State's a dumpster fire. So Dent would probably, if they pushed, could get him away from FSU. I heard that before we started this podcast, Rashard Chaney was in Tallahassee uh, for the Florida State visit when they lost to Clemson. I, I think you're going to see Chaney very soon go public and flip to another school, and it sounds like it may be Florida State. So that's something to kind of watch out for, and he'll be one of the guys that disappears. Uh, and then so I think Alabama wants to add, you know, a couple of defensive backs, uh, you know, one more defensive lineman, uh, then the running back and Trey Sanders, Evan Neal, Clay Webb, we'll see. I mean, Clay Webb, there was a crystal ball tonight to Clemson. Clay Webb has been a strange recruitment from the word go. But I will say this. William has said this on this podcast, and I'll say it too. If they get Clay Webb, fine. But if they don't, they're going to be just final on the offensive line. You certainly want him for you know perception purposes being one of the best prospects in the state of Alabama. But it's not going to end the world if he does a Justin Ross and decides to go to Clemson and go somewhere else. I don't think it's smart on his part at all, but he's just been a little bit of a different kid the whole time. So we'll see what happens uh, with Clay Webb going forward. Uh, but he's not going to break the recruiting class. Alabama will have the number one class with or without Clay Webb. And Evan Neal is the one that they really want. They think he's a future starter, maybe even as a freshman, ahead of Cam Robinson at the same stage. And he's 6'7", 360 pounds. They're about to get him down to 340. So... Just watch Evan Neal, and I know they want him badly. And so, and as we said also, uh, you know, Trey Sanders and Nolan Smith. And then, and then, of course, they want the two linebackers. I think they're leading for Henry T. Uh, from De La Salle High School, which is the alma mater of Tosh Lupoy. And then I still think they're in strong position for N'Kobe Dean. Dean's recruitment, again, has been a, one that's been kind of a circus. But I do think when it's all said and done, that, that Pete Golding and those guys can close that deal. And, of course, he he get a chance to play early because, you know, whether, you know, Mac Wilson comes back or not, he's a senior. They're going to need to groom people. And Dylan Moses is a great year away from the NFL as well. So, N'Kobe Dean would be able to impact the depth chart quickly, and I think he knows that. So, just th- those are some guys just to watch when you think about it. When you think about a one defensive lineman, maybe a wide receiver in George Pickens or Brew McCoy, uh, and then uh, the, the two linebackers and the two, you know, the two defensive backs – uh, that, that's kind of where Alabama is right now. And, of course, Sanders would be the one running back. I think they're going to add those pieces, and I think they're going to have a one-away, one, excuse me, a runaway train as far as the 2019 class uh, you know, of, of prospects. And there might even be another one or two that come out of nowhere that always seem to uh, down the stretch. But those are just some guys to watch uh, in recruiting. We wanted to kind of give a recruiting overview as we were ending well, this. Yeah, and something. Some- Something else to watch, too, as sure. we tell off into this whole thing, is what Mike Loxley and Tosh LePoy are arranging right now up in the D.C., Maryland, Pennsylvania area. Right, yeah, and, in and, the know, future, yeah. That I've been, I've been told about, you know, from an Alabama staff member. Um, and, and, you know, this is, you know, coming from the, the momentum of, you know, the Enoma commitment to Alabama you know, the Shane Lee commitment to Alabama, uh, Daly and Alicourt, Dalicourt, mm-hmm. um, you know, their, their teammate, uh, Chris Braswell. Right. Uh, pay real close attention to the uh, – and I know this is a little bit early to be talking about this, but th- this is, you know, some feedback that I'm getting on the 2020 class. Pay real close attention to – the magic that's being worked up into that D.C., Maryland, Pennsylvania area with both Tosh LePoy and Mike Loxley up there working their magic. Um, from what I'm hearing, most of all the elite players up there that they're in contact with want to come to Alabama. So, you know, brace yourself for that in 2020. Well, that's a good 2020 intel. And I know Mike Loxley was at St. John's game where – Keelan Robinson is committed to Alabama, the alma mater of one Terrell Lewis this past Friday. And uh, he had some pretty good star power with him. Some dude named John Allen, some dude named Deron Payne and Ryan Anderson. Three pretty good dudes to 
look at on the sidelines of yeah. a high school game who were, uh, for, of course, playing in the area for the now 5-2 and two Washington Redskins after they got the job done again today. Uh, the only disappointing thing was Sean Dion Hamilton wasn't there too, but certainly uh, that's, that's huge uh, for uh, Alabama recruiting. But uh, we're going to just kind of close it down tonight. Uh, and uh, and uh, I'll just close it by saying once again, I think Alabama's going to beat LSU 38-13. Uh, to 13. Uh, William uh, has said he thinks Alabama's going to win big. Thomas has said earlier by four touchdowns. So we all expect an impressive win in Red Stick. Uh, I think we're all looking forward to the challenge. I think Alabama's players are too. It's a fun place to play at night. Uh, you know, and it's going to be their biggest test of the season, but we do think Alabama is going to be more than up to it and that Tua Tungvaloa is going to be the difference maker in this game. But also I expect Alabama's defense to make a statement as well. But we hope everybody's enjoyed this edition of BAMS Radio. For William Redfish Barger, for Thomas Watts, I want to thank everyone for listening. We know our listenership continues to expand. We appreciate that. Uh, we'll come to you to next Sunday after the LSU game with hopefully Alabama clinching the West and looking forward to finishing strong in the rest of November and getting to Atlanta. But uh, and also Alabama would, would know their opponent if they can get past uh, LSU. They will know whether it's Georgia or Kentucky. But uh, we'll talk about that and more next week on BAMS Radio on Sunday. But everybody, good night. We'll talk to you then, and roll tide. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.